Amen. Um, you may be seated wherever you are. If you were standing, <clears throat> thanks for standing with us for the reading of the word. Um, there's a special kind of uh, vulnerability being in this room now that I don't usually feel. And um, maybe I think when you're like four people awkwardly singing off camera with Chad, um, a call and response song, you feel even more vulnerable. But it's good. This is good for all of us. Um, thinking about this passage this week, I was thinking about this question. Um, have you ever felt like you missed out on something that everyone else was in on? Have you ever been the only one who didn't study for the test or the only one who didn't get the inside joke, the only one who uh, showed up wearing the wrong thing? And it made me think about second grade, actually. Some of you are in second grade. And I remember um, school picture day in second grade. And I showed up and it was picture day and somehow I had totally missed it. And I had no idea. I hadn't prepared for picture day. Now, I had two best friends at the time, Steve and Ryan. And it turns out they had called each other the night before and they had arranged to wear the same thing on picture day and they had these matching um, pink and white pinstripe button-down Oxfords. It was 1983, so. <laughs> and um, so they show up in their pink and white stripe button-downs and I showed up in this old ratty hand-me-down purple sweatshirt. I actually remember that it was a purple sweatshirt. And I felt embarrassed and kind of betrayed and um, I wonder if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever been there, the one who missed out or was left out. Lately, it can be hard to tell what we're missing, hard to tell what's real, what's not. When I look at my calendar, I still imagine meetings in person and I have to like rethink, um, I have to reimagine them. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I find myself dreaming like my dreams are disorienting. Dreams are usually disorienting, but the other night I had a dream and I was in, I was in this crowd, which, you know, obviously isn't real, but I'm in this crowd. And then I see someone who's, who I know, I like say his name and I go up to him and I reach out and I shake his hand and then I stop myself and I'm like, oh, sorry. And then I like offer him a fist bump and then I'm like, oh no. And then I'm so disoriented in the dream. <laughs> We're, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Um, and in the midst of that, it's a week after Easter. And in today's passage, it's also a week after the resurrection, a week after Jesus' appearance to Mary and then to the others who were behind locked doors in fear. A week after Jesus spoke a word of peace. And a week later, they're still behind these locked doors in fear. Not much seems to have changed. Kind of like us from week to week right now. Not much seems to have changed. Except that Thomas wasn't there the first time. And he's pretty sore about it. Which makes sense. He was one of Jesus' 12 closest friends. Right? I mean, he was on the inside. How could he have been left out? And I think he felt kind of betrayed by that. This story is often headlined, 
Doubting Thomas, and I would kind of like to rebrand it Honest Thomas, if I could. He told it straight, and he came back. He leaned in. He kept showing up. He kept gathering with the others. And, and really, if we think about it, Thomas is called out, but he sort of represents all the doubt in the group collectively. I mean, they are hiding behind locked doors, right? They're fearful. The other Gospels capture this in different ways. Matthew 28 makes it clear that even at Jesus' ascension, some believed, but some doubted. And at the end of Mark's Gospel, everyone runs away scared. And in John, this is all kind of put on Thomas. Thomas gives voice to the skeptics. He wanted some kind of closure, and I think that's fair. I've been thinking a lot about closure lately and the lack of closure in my own family's life. Um, my dad passed away a few weeks ago, and we had to join a family graveside service from 2,000 miles away, sitting in our living room, dressed up, um, and watching through FaceTime. Talk about surreal right? Um, Anna was just getting to the good part of her senior year when everything was disrupted, canceled, put on hold indefinitely. There are people who she may never see again um, with no chance to say goodbye, have closure. All right, great. I'm gonna say that again. Um, one of the things I love about the interaction in this passage is that Jesus meets Thomas with hospitality. I don't imagine Jesus being harsh with Thomas here. I imagine him more with the tone of, come closer, friend. I see you. Now see me. Jesus helps Thomas know not only that his doubts and questions are valid, but also that he's in, he's part of the group. He's part of the family. I was listening to Pete Byers' Godly Play story from last week and was reminded that when people came close to Jesus, they could see things that they couldn't see before. I love that line. Now, we don't actually know if Thomas touches Jesus' body or if he just sees the proof. But I like to think that he touched him. I like to think that he, that he accepted that offer. And as Thomas touches Jesus' body, and Jesus then talks about us, those who would believe without seeing or touching, that Jesus is in a way extending his body to us through Thomas and through people like Thomas. Real people who make up Christ's body on earth now. In other words, seeing and touching each other, it's part of how we believe and are transformed. So I don't think this story is given to shame doubters. I think it's given to remind us that all believers have questions, that faith is a mystery, and that we in our life together carry on the life 
of Jesus. Thomas doesn't just stand in for the disciples' doubt. He also stands in for their belief. In John, Thomas is the first to say that Jesus is truly God. When he proclaims, my Lord and my God. He, he gives that revelation. John jumps in to say, like gives this editorial note here, that this is all for our benefit. That this is written for us. That we are invited into that story of Jesus the unseen God made seen, whose resurrection will bring us life. John wants to make sure we don't miss it. When, when Sonia preached on John 3 recently, um, you talked about rebirth as a way of life. This seeing and entering and being reborn again and again. I think this is one of Thomas's rebirth moments and perhaps can be one for us too. It, John seems to be hoping that this story will be one of rebirth for us. I mentioned Godly Play. What I love most about young children in worship and Godly Play is that wondering is part of how we engage the stories from scripture. Wondering opens us up, it reminds us that scripture is meant to be heard and told and retold in a posture of openness and even of questioning. We teach our children to ask questions. I love that because plenty of Bible stories leave us with questions. This story, um, yeah, it raises questions, but it also makes a lot of sense on the ground right now for us. We wonder, did it really happen if I wasn't there? Is it real if I can't touch it or feel it? Do these relationships still exist if I can't be with these people? How does life change from here? In seasons like this, it's better to voice our questions than to stuff them. Um, some of you know I do research, and research on Christian high school students shows that the vast majority have doubts about their faith, but only a fraction of them share those with anyone. But sharing those questions out loud is linked with being able to carry faith forward into the next season. In other words, sometimes we're afraid that doubt will destroy faith, but it's not doubt that's toxic to faith. It's silence. Silence keeps us from exploring. It keeps us from hearing other stories. And other stories are actually the way we get through our questions a lot of the time. And maybe most of all, silence keeps us from companionship. Being with others in our questions is as important as being with others in our faith. Being with others in our questions is as important as being with others in our believing. Perhaps Thomas knew this. Thomas stands in for everyone who's felt left out, excluded, who missed the joke, missed the party, missed the moment. For those of us who feel like we're always that person, for those of us feeling it right now, in this strange season. Thomas stands in for us. 
Doubt is real in this story, just like it's real for us today. But doubt doesn't get the last word. Like death doesn't get the last word. Resurrection speaks a powerful word to doubt. So as we close, I wonder, I have some wondering questions for us. I wonder if you've ever felt like Thomas. I wonder what it meant to Thomas to call Jesus God. I wonder what it was like for Jesus' friends to begin to know him in a new way. I wonder how we can be good companions to each other in our questioning and in our believing. That word companion literally means someone who shares bread. I love that. And I love that that's what we do week after week. Um, even in the strange way that we're sharing bread distantly right now. <clears throat> we're still companions. And we're going to do that now. Chad's going to come sing another song. And as we um, sing that together, we're going to transition to the Zoom room. Um, Tim posted that link, is going to repost that link in the comments. And then Aaron will lead us um, as we share Eucharist. So let's hold that together, companions, in our questioning and in our believing. Amen.